Welcome to the Jesus Famous Youth Teachings Podcast. Our vision is to see Jesus famous in the lives of the youth of our church. We want to see youth have opportunities for them to come to know Jesus in a complete and whole way and be united together in love, and most importantly, strengthened in the moments of discouragement. Jesus Famous Youth meets on Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. and has a middle school program available on Sundays at 11 a.m. Now, let's get into our teaching. Erica is going to read for us. All right, does everyone have a Bible now? No? Who, I heard no's. All right, if you need a Bible, get your hand up. Please. Hand up. Hand up. All right. Please turn to Revelation chapter 3. When you've got that, please stand. And remain standing. Really? You're going to make up a stand? Yeah. All right. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Now we're running low on time. You played your video. Yeah, I know. <laughs> all right. I believe that when we read from the word of God that we should all stand in honor and respect, okay? I love doing this. So follow along with me, please. Again. Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, amen, wow, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and to salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my, right, on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Father, we thank you for this night, what you're doing in us and through us, Father, as we open up your word, as we read it, as we study it, and Father, as we finish up this letter tonight, and we have one more left of these seven letters to the churches in, in uh, Lord, Asia Minor of this century in Rome, God, we just ask and pray, Father, that you would just speak to us. We go back to Revelation 113, where you promised us that there would be a blessing for those who read this aloud, who apply it to their lives. I pray that more than anything, God, we would be a youth group that would apply this to our lives, God, that we would be, um, Lord, closer to you, stronger, or more courageous, more bold, more mature when we finish these seven letters, Lord, than when we started a couple months ago. So we just thank you for this night in your name. Amen. All right, guys, go and grab a seat. <clears throat> 
to the church in Laodicea. I got a bunch of feedback, Kevin, coming back at me here. Uh, the church in Laodicea. So as you may be looking at it, this, this may be the, the last letter. And we actually skipped over Thyatira back in chapter 2 because I, I really love the church in Thyatira. It really speaks to me. I wanted to give it time to study up on it and to really like kind of mull through it before I gave it back to you guys and taught it to you. So we actually have two letters left, this one of Laodicea, next week Thyatira. We got the end of the month of, of April, and there's actually five Tuesdays in the, in the month of May. Uh, yay, five youth groups in May. And so, yeah, and so we will go through actually the book of Philippians. We're going to take four studies, just one chapter each teaching. We're going to go through the, the, the whole book of Philippians next month. I'm really excited about that. I'm kind of praying over what to do in June with amidst all the craziness, which I hope you guys are looking forward to summer. I hope you can make one of those events, whether it's gleanings or whether it's middle school camp or senior trip. I'm hoping kind of everybody will be able to meet one of those. Eighth graders, you know, August, we've got your eighth grade trip to the boardwalk, you know. Like, like I love the traditions that we've been building, you guys. Um, I know the freshmen are asking if they can go to the boardwalk again. And it's like, no, you guys are too old now. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> that's what, We just need, a, like, a trip for every class, right? Yeah. Um, Learn how to clone me, and maybe we can do that. Yeah, let's just clone the whole youth crew multiple times, and then we can do that. Sound good? All right, let's figure it out. All right. So coming to the church of Laodicea, you know, the fact is, guys, like this is, this is a hard rebuke that Jesus gives this church. This is heavy. It really is. This is one of those sections of Scripture that you can read through, and if you really just kind of take it in and really just kind of chew it over and like kind of just like, Chew the cud with it, man. You just really like, like swallow it, regurgitate it, and eat it again, kind of like a cow, you know. It's like you're getting every bit of nutrient from it. You really walk away going, man, this is, this is intense. Jesus is really coming down on the church in Laodicea. But it's only because, and I believe it is because, you know, we see him coming down. But as he ends it there in verses 19 through 22, when it's like those who I love, those who I love, I discipline. We really see the outcome of why Jesus is coming so hard against the church in Laodicea because he loves them so much. He cares for them so much. And I think we as a young youth group can, can grow and mature and learn from a letter like this to the church in Laodicea um, in, in some really vital ways, guys. I really think you can. And that's why I titled tonight's message, Call to be, Call to be So Much More. Call to be so much more. Because sometimes as a middle schooler or a high schooler, you know, life can seem so daunting. Maybe some of the things you have in front of you, maybe it's pressures, whether you put the pressures on yourself or society puts pressures on you or maybe your parents put pressure on you to be something or to do something or to act a certain way. Um, we, it can seem very daunting. But see, when Jesus lays before us his plan for our life, when he lays before you his purposes and how he's made you and what he's made you for, it actually shouldn't be daunting. It shouldn't be extra weight. Actually, Jesus said that, that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He, he wants us to be a part of his kingdom, but know that he's not putting these extra burdens or pressures on you. But really, when he lays this before you, what this should do for us is draw us to realize that we can be so much more, that we're actually called to be so much more. And I think the burden is on a youth pastor like myself to constantly teach you guys and lead you guys to the fact that Jesus, his calling for you is better than anything else. Anything that, anything that you can fill in the blank, anything else, anything that you can put there, any type of career or job or image or money or popularity or, or fame, anything you can fill in that blank, Jesus is better. 
The calling he has for you is better. The calling he puts upon you and I as Christians is so much more than anything else you can gain from this world. And this is why he comes down so hard in the later scenes, because he loves them. He really does. So kind of starting this study, we read that verse 14. This is the description of Jesus. Just like at the start of every one of these letters, we see in verse 14, going back to that real quick, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of, of God's creation. So as, as the writer, John here, writes this to the church, he wants them to understand something. Because every time the description of Jesus is put down at the beginning of these letters, it's to emulate the either, the either correction or the encouragement that Jesus is going to give to the Christians in that specific city. And so as he lays out who he is, right, he is the amen. He is the faithful and true witness, the ruler of all God's creation. He wants the Laodiceans, Laodiceans to hear that description and take something from it. He wants us to understand that there's something in this that you and I can grow and mature from. See, the fact is, guys, within Jesus' character, within who he is, all that he is, is an agreement, an amen. That's what amen means, agreement. When we say amen at the end of a prayer, it means we are in agreement of what was said. right? If, you, if something's ever prayed that you don't agree with, don't say amen. I've been in prayer meetings like that where, where someone said something or, or been kind of like off theologically. I don't say amen at the end because it's like, no, I don't agree with that. Like, that was a little off. But see, Jesus and who he is is in agreement with all that is faithful and true. In him is this amen with everything that is faithful and true. His very existence that has always been and will always be proves his faithfulness and a foundation of truth. Everything that encompasses Jesus is this faithfulness to who he is, to what he says he has done, to what he says he will do. Is this faithfulness to him being the son of God, the second part of the Trinity. He is faithful. And in him is this foundation of truth. This foundation of what is good, what is right, what is truth. There is no, there is no hiddenness in him. There is no darkness. There is no lies. There is no like, fables within Jesus. He's not just some narrative that, that we can read and just kind of you know, glean some, some half-truths or some neat proverbs from. But he is all truth. His foundation of who he is is truth. Even we see here the ruler of God's creation. God's creation testifies and bears evidence in his absolute faithfulness and truth to who he is and what he has said. Even within God, him being ruler over God's creation, God's creation testifies to his faithfulness. I heard a quote the other day, the mundane of our world shows God's faithfulness. It proves God's faithfulness. You can sit on the ocean and what do you see the waves doing over and over and over and over again. We see the seasons come and go, you know, whether you're 12 or you're 18, now for either 12 or 18 or anywhere in the middle years, you have watched the seasons come and go. We're going into spring, then it'll be summer, then fall, then winter, and it'll come right back to spring, you know, then summer, then fall, then winter. For all those years, you, all those days, you've watched the sun set and the sun rise. The mundaneness in God's creation proves his faithfulness proves the truth of what he stands on. There's a, in Psalms actually, Psalms verse uh, 33, verse four through five, it says, for the, world, or the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. So even the Psalms, you can find many verses like this that continue to reiterate God's faithfulness, his truth, that creation cries out that he is faithful and true that his foundation and who he is, everything that encompasses him is faithful and true. 
C.S. Lewis actually writes it kind of like this, and kind of follow along with me as, or read, read up there as I, I read this. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying that the really foolish thing that people often say about him, meaning Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who has, was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and claim him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. See, the reason I put this C.S. Lewis quote in here is because when I'm bringing you guys to Jesus' hardness on the church in Laodicean is bringing them to a place of understanding this faithfulness and truth that this is something we cannot compromise from. This is something we cannot waver from. In the, in the text, we'll get to it, he calls them lukewarm, saying you are neither no, hot nor cold, but you are lukewarm. I would rather, he says, you be hot or cold because then at least I know where you stand, but you're in the middle somewhere. You're kind of in the middle where you, you'll say Jesus is a, is a good person or a good teacher. You'll say that Jesus is, is this prophet, right? You may even say, yeah, Jesus is God. But have you come to the place of truly accepting him as Lord and Savior? Is he king over your life? When you look to Jesus, is he faithful and true in your life? And then as you look to him as faithful and true, do you now emulate that in your life? Is your life is it an example of faithfulness and truth? See, the thing is, guys, that we live in a world that challenges our faith. We really do. I think at every corner, you and I live in a world that challenges our faith. So we have to look to Jesus for as faithful and true or else we will be swept away. If you can't today or sometime soon stand on the truth that Jesus is faithful and true, then you will be swept away. You will find yourself lukewarm one day, maybe even cold. Now, you guys, we live in this world that is changing. Now, this world, you guys, it, it wants us to be in agreement um, with what we do not believe in. Okay, first off, it wants us to be in agreement. Now, this is that kind of balance of acceptance and affirmation. Now, we can accept people as being human, God's creation. They are beloved by God. But see, the world wants you to compromise and say, that, no, you need to affirm me. You need to affirm my lifestyle. You need to affirm what I'm about, what I believe in. You need to affirm me and not just accept me. Right? If you don't affirm me, you're not accepting me. When that's a lie, that's a fallacy. You can accept someone for being human, for being loved, for being known by God without having to affirm their behavior or their lifestyle. See, to be lukewarm concerning our faith and what God has called us to stand for is another way that the world, world wants you to live. See, the world will say, like, now you can be a Christian, but just don't be that kind of Christian. You can, you can go to church, and you can go to youth group, and you can even read your Bible, but, you know, just don't, don't, be, don't be a too hardcore of a Christian. Just kind of be lukewarm. Just kind of be in the middle. Don't challenge anybody. Don't, don't step into an uncomfortable place. Don't, 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 you know, convict anybody. Just kind of stand there in that lukewarm place. Then ultimately to call truth lies and lies truth. See, the world wants us to come to this place of lukewarmness because it never wants us to really call out lies for lies and truth for truth. Because that, what that does is it exposes the lies that our world wants us to believe in. 
It exposes the type of things that want us to compromise our faith. A great example of this in your guys' generation is, is um, pronoun hospitality. You guys ever heard that term before, pronoun hospitality? It's a pretty newer term, but it's the idea that, that if somebody desires to change their pronouns from male to female or female to male, even though they were born a genetic male or a genetic female, pronoun hospitality tells us that, that, that it's hospitable, it's kind for us to call them the pronoun they desire. Even though they were born female, or they were born male, but they desire to be called a he rather than a she, or a she rather than a, than a he, or even a they, like, it would be hospitable for us to do that. The world wants to tell you that, right? Your culture is saying that it's okay to do this. But see, this is such a, a, an example for us today because the fact is, guys, we feel like that might be hospitable now. We feel like that might be kind now, but ultimately, we're lying to them. Ultimately, I believe that we are being actually unkind to someone by calling them by the, the opposite pronoun because that person, they were born either male or female, right? That is fact. Genetics don't lie. That is a fact. Biology is, is real. It's true. It's reality. And so that person, even if they go through surgeries, even if they get hormones and chemical replacements, you guys, even if they change everything about their appearance down to their very cell, it's still either male or female. They can't change that. They cannot change that. So for them, for you to say, I accept you and I affirm you by calling you from a, a different name and a different pronoun, I'm being kind. You guys know you're actually lying to them. It's kind of like telling somebody, yeah, go down this bridge about two miles. Now, the bridge is safe up until two and a half miles, right? So two and a half miles down the road, you're going to crash and burn. But for two and a half miles, you'll be fine. For two miles of it, you'll be totally fine. But two and a half miles down, you're going to crash and burn. See, because it's outside of God's will for their life. It's outside of God's plan for their life, you guys. See, the world wants to confuse it and say, no, be hospitable, be kind. But really, we need to see through a biblical worldview, a biblical lens, what God is calling us to say and do. Now, do it in love. Absolutely. And guys, please, like, know like, this is on my mind constantly. I want to love someone that's struggling with a gender identity just as much as you do. I want to show them kindness just as much as you. I want them to know that they belong within church and God's kingdom and God's plan for them. I want to walk through that with them in relationship and accept them as a human being and build that relationship without having to affirm and accept that lifestyle they're choosing. But guys, we can't lie. We have to walk in truth, guys. Young Christians, we got to stand firm in this because the world is going to keep pushing your culture is going to keep pushing and telling you to compromise. And before you know it, you will, you will end up either in your own faith or in a church that is lukewarm. And you'll be where the Laodiceans are, where Jesus is looking at them saying, I love you, but you are lukewarm. You, you call my name, but yet you're not living by it. You're not exemplifying faithfulness and truth to the theology God is calling us to, guys. See, we need to be Christians that, that walk in truth. This call to Laodiceans is so so heavy on my heart, guys. And I hope it is for you too that, that we need to stand with, with Jesus in faithfulness and truth. Now let's get into the text, okay? Everyone okay? Everyone with me still? And we got really somber real quick. All right. Revelation 3, verses 15 through 17. He then goes into, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, 
I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, what does it say about God, you guys? It says that he sees us for who we are and cannot help but be faithful and speak the truth to us. See, God sees us at our inner core, what we really believe. We can say to someone, hey, I believe this, right? Like, this is how I vote. This is how I stand. I believe this. And then when we go home and we're kind of by ourselves, we figure out, you know, like no one's really around watching. We may watch something on TV. We're not going to tell anybody, right? Binge a show. We're not going to let anybody know, right? Pastor Josh, like, like, yeah, I'm not going to tell those kids I binge watch this show, right? That's what I believe, like, kind of by myself. But see, then Jesus even goes a step further and sees what we truly are what we truly believe, where we really are with our faith, where we really are with our walk with Jesus, where we are in this life, how we see this world, what kind of worldview do we allow to adopt us and to disciple us, you guys? Jesus sees to the inner part of us that's past even when we're by ourselves. So why is it important that we allow God to see us and speak into our lives at an intimate level? Why is it important that we give God that ability to step in and to actually see us at that intimate place? Well, first off, because we should desire a sincere passion and love for him. See, above everything else that you love in this life, everything else that you have passion for in this life, you know, maybe it's a sports team like the Raiders. Maybe it's, it's uh, some type of music, right? I know some of you guys are going to the Taylor Swift concert this summer. It's like, it's like we can, and I know you're going to scream your lungs out when you go. Like, I, I would too if I went to a Taylor Swift concert. Like, absolutely. I would know every song up to Lover. I don't know the newer albums. I just don't like them that much. Anyway. The thing is, above all passions, above all loves, there should be a sincere love for Jesus, right? It's also important because we want to be in God's will and plans for our lives. See, it's important to give God an intimate place in our hearts to speak to us because we want to be a part of his plan, right? Sometimes when we pray, we're like, God, make, like, God, come down to my plan, and I want you to kind of be in. Here's my plan, God. Here's A, B, and C. I want you in between A and B and in between B and C, Or no, we want to go, God, what is your plan for my life? Young Christians, a lot of times you'll find that God's plan was was, was a part of your plan, but just without your stubbornness and pride involved. (laughs) Number three, because outside of Jesus, we are in sin. He says that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. This is the epitome of sin. If you don't think sin leads to this, have your parents drive you down Chinatown in Salinas. Just drive down Chinatown. Take 10 minutes. Ask your parents to drive you down it, and you will see the wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That is the epitome of where sin leads men and women in the complete bondage of habitual and, and just demonic sin in their life. So outside of Jesus, we ha- we, that's where we're at. So this is why we want that intimate place with him. Continuing on now, as, as Jesus now gives them the prescription of being poor, blind, uh, naked, and pitiful and blind, naked, poor, pitiful, wretched, one of those. All right, (laughs) the prescription of that is, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. There we go. So you become rich uh, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shame, your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Now here's the prescription. He looks at the church in Laodicea and saying, listen, I look at you, I know your works. I know your inner parts, you're lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. I can't use you. I can't use a church like that that just compromises. I can't use a church that doesn't stand faithful and true. I can't use a church that just doesn't resemble my character in that way. 
And then he tells him, like, listen, like, like you think that you're so rich. You think you have it all put together because that the, you don't have this insane, you know, type of, like, like fight against you. The, the culture has accepted you because you are lukewarm. But listen, I want to counsel you that what you have is fake. I want to give you something real. So this tells us about God that he desires for us faithfulness and truth so our lives can represent him in all that we do. See, when we're buying what the world has to sell, we have nothing else to give because all we're doing is just we're replicating what the world has. But see, when we take what Jesus gives us, we have something of value to give back to the world. When we take Jesus' character, his love, his grace, his forgiveness upon us, we then can represent that and give that back to the world in a real and authentic way. There's no fakeness to it. So how does a Christian life that is faithful and true represent Jesus? How should our youth group represent Jesus? How should your life represent Jesus? Well, first off, it has pure and eternal worth. See, your life in Jesus has pure and eternal worth. That's that gold refined in fire that Jesus is talking about here. There's no dross. There's no other chemicals or any type of minerals in this gold. It is pure gold. It is absolute pure. And this life that we have within Jesus is pure, and it's eternal, and it has worth. Like, not just here and now, which is a beautiful thing. Like, we celebrated Easter this Sunday, and, and gaining that, that salvation from Jesus' resurrection from the dead is a beautiful thing that does impact us now, but ultimately, the, the better half of it impacts us for eternity. The fact that we get to be eternity with God, that he sees us already pure. He sees us already worthy because he's God. Because of what Jesus did. Number two there, your testimony is a lighthouse to the rest of the world of how sin and death has no hold on you. See, your life becomes this lighthouse where when you have friends that are are struggling with anxiety and depression, maybe they're in a place of struggling with their their identity, right? Or they're struggling with habitual sin or maybe they're just their self-worth, right? Because of, of habitual sin in their life and things that are bringing them down and holding them. You can be this lighthouse to your friends and your peers, showing them, like, no, you don't have to live this way. This thing doesn't have to hold you. Your identity actually is bigger and better than you think because it's in Jesus. Yeah, you may be struggling with that identity right now, but God has a plan for you even in that brokenness. Like, our lives become this lighthouse. Number three there, we see the world through a biblical worldview that centers on grace, truth, genuine love, redemption, and Jesus' beautiful kingdom work. See, we should desire, you guys, we should desire this faithfulness and truth to represent Jesus because ultimately, again, seeing the world through a biblical worldview is better than anything else you can put in that place. Right? Think of that again. Like our worldview, you guys, it centers on this grace, truth, genuine love, redemption, and Jesus' kingdom work rather than selfishness, on pride, on arrogance, on what can I get out of this life, hopelessness. Fear, anxiety, depression, so much of what your generation is dealing with right now, you don't have to live in that because of what Jesus has done, because you choose to live within faithfulness and truth and because of Jesus' work over you. All right, finishing up verse 19 through 22, he says, Those who I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit. I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. 
Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what this says about God is is, his desire for the Christian's life is to be prosperous and victorious no matter what this life throws at you. This life will throw curveballs at you. This life is hard. We look at Jesus' example to us. He, he, didn't, he didn't live this fluffy, you know, rainbows and unicorn type life. He actually intentionally put himself in tension points constantly. He would step into hard situations. He would go to the down and out. He would go to those who lived outside the city gates. He would go to the Samaritan, the prostitute, you guys, the sick, the lame, the blind, the poor. Jesus intentionally put himself in places of tension. He did not tell us to live this this sissy la-la type of life. There's actually this term right now going around, evangelifishes or evangelies, right? We're just Christians who believe that, like, man, this life needs to just be nice and easy, and we can live this lukewarm type of existence. I think the term has been given out a little too freely, but at the same time, I kind of like it. But see, the idea is Jesus calls us to be prosperous and victorious even in those midst of tension, So what are some desires God has for your life here and now? What are some desires that God has for you, for me? Well, first one is that know that God loves you even when he has to discipline you. Even when you feel God's spank, even when you feel just a thump on the head or a correction from God, know that he loves you through that. A lot of times, you guys, when you're moving in the right direction, you know that God is working on you. He starts to pull out things that, that are hard. He starts to pull out things that, that, that he doesn't like, that, that don't glorify him. Habits, you guys, and, and certain things that we do. Maybe little addictions. Maybe things that, the way that we treat people. And so we're confronted with those things. And it hurts when we're confronted with those things. But it means that God loves you. Now, I, I encourage you to go through that kind of discipline rather than the discipline of walking away from God. Walking, walking off the beaten path because eventually, just as the shepherd does with the little sheep, the shepherd will lead that sheep back over and over again because the shepherd always had a big cane, like a big stick to lead, and then he had a club. Now, the club was for protection, but also if that sheep kind of kept going off astray, right, eventually that sheep, because sheep are stupid, would start leading other sheep astray. So the shepherd would go over with that club, grab one of the sheep's legs, and break it. Now, the shepherd was wise. He would then fix the leg. He would then splint it and make it right. But then for the next six weeks, that sheep was completely dependent on the shepherd. He would actually have to carry it everywhere that he went. That sheep would have to be completely dependent upon the shepherd to eat, to drink water, to like everything. So at the end of that six weeks, guess who's the most absolute obedient and and best leading sheep in the flock? The one who got his leg broke. See, this is that God's discipline. He loves us. He loves us that much. Number two there, when God knocks and calls you, say yes and enjoy the spiritual fruit that is produced. See, even when you're going through a hard time, even when you're going through difficulties in life, and God calls you to faithfulness, he calls you to step out, say yes to that thing, and watch how the fruit comes. The spiritual fruit within your own life as God shapes and molds you in maturity but also the world around you. Just watch how it changes your friend group and maybe your work crew, the people that you are around that aren't Christians. Watch it change as you say yes to God. Number three, we get to rejoice with Jesus and his victory over sin. We get to rejoice with Jesus and over victory over sin and death. Now, in verses 21 and 22, Jesus says, like, 
I want you to understand that you're going to be victorious as I was victorious. In the same way that I beat sin on the cross and death from raising from the grave and I ascended and sit at the right hand of the Father, that victory is now yours also. See, young Christians, we, we, don't, we don't spend enough time meditating and pondering on this, that the victory Jesus experienced on Resurrection Sunday is the same victory that you and I get to experience every single day and then one day forever in heaven with him. Like Jesus says it right here, that you get to sit with him. You get to sit with him at the throne room of God because you chose to say yes to him here. What a beautiful thing that we get, you guys. And so this is one of the desires God has for you right here and right now, to know that you one day will sit at the right hand. You will sit in the throne room of God. But right now, we need to live like it, right? This is the call to the Laodiceans. This is the call to you and I. That yes, one day we get eternity as Christians, but right here, right now, we need to live like we're living for eternity. We need to live like, like we're living for Christ right here and right now. Don't let that lukewarmness cover you. Don't let the, the culture push you to a place of, of lies and unfaithfulness, but stand firm in a place of faithfulness and truth, just like Jesus is calling us to. Now, I want to do something a little different tonight. So instead of giving you a couple applications, what I want you to see, think is, based on what you just experienced or what you just heard or, or read in the scriptures, what act of obedience is God asking you to take? Now, complete this sentence below, I will, and then fill it in, guys. Seth, do you got something right now? <laughs> He's got his hand up. Um, now, I'm going to call on a couple of you next week. And so I want to encourage you to, to maybe contemplate this a bit. What is God calling you to do? What is the conviction he's putting on your heart? Complete the sentence below, I will blank. High schoolers, I'm probably going to call on you first because you're examples, all right? So think about this this week. Maybe take some time, have some devotional time over it. Read over verses 14 through 22 again of Revelation 3 and ask the Lord, what are you calling me to do, okay? And we got our small group questions up there which will be in your notes. And then I love you, but now go away to small groups. So Father, we thank you so much for your grace and mercy. Thank you so much for your word, how it's real and true. Let us just uh, dive into small group time. Let it be fruitful to us. I pray over my leaders right now, God, that you would just speak through them as they go into these groups. And Lord, I pray that you would work through these, these students, Lord. Just thank you for this time. Thank you for youth group and all that you do, Jesus. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you at youth group on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. If you'd like more information about JFY or have a question, reach out to us at joshuas at calvary.com or DM us on Instagram at ymcalvary.